Good morning. Today's reading is Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from his grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Should we spend a moment in prayer for John before he preaches? Father, thank you we can approach you in times of despair and distress. Thank you that you hear our prayers and fill us with your peace and hope. We pray for John as he preaches today. Would you bless him and use his wisdom to speak to our hearts, especially those of us struggling with anxiety and rejection. Father, would you please quieten all distractions around us and help us learn to draw encouragement and strength from your word. Amen. Thank you for that reading you just had from the Psalms, from Psalm 6. We looked at Psalm 5 last week. I want to look at Psalm 6 today. And I've kind of tentatively called it the longest night. There are um, some circumstances that make the night seem to last forever. Uh, in 1964, I went to work for about three or four months some in the summer at uh, Kellogg's Cornflakes in Old Trafford, Trafford Park, I should say. And uh, I was on the night shift, 10 o'clock to 6. I was manning uh, conveyor belts. Uh, the machinery was so noisy that you couldn't talk to the guy across the conveyor belt. It was only three feet away. They were the longest hours I'd ever spent, I think. I, I began to understand the... Uh, the words of scripture, um, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. I, I can tell you that waiting for the morning, looking out through the window of the factory, hoping that the dawn would break soon. They seem very, very long hours indeed. Uh, there's some times when the night seems very long. I remember May the 27th, 1977, waiting in the leap the night hours for the birth of a child, how long that seemed. I remember spending my first night in a hospital bed after suffering a heart attack. That was a long night again. So there are these nights that seem very long indeed. Um, if you look at verses 6 and 7 of this psalm, I'm worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. 
Well, it, it would be convenient for preachers if the authors of the Psalms had given us a detailed account of the life circumstances of uh, particularly King David when these Psalms were composed. But they don't uh, do that, and we have to trust the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in not giving us those details. Uh, but it's tempting to supply uh, a convenient background to the words of the Psalms. There's one commentator who thinks that this Psalm 6 was composed after David's sin with Bathsheba, his adultery, and before his restoration to the Lord. And he thinks that David had probably contracted leprosy. Um, I, I can't really go along with that. I'm going to be much more general. Um, I'm going to like to talk first of all in kind of borrowing the words of the psalmist um, the first point I want to make is spare me because I'm suffering. Spare me because I'm suffering. Verses 1 to 3. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for I am faint. For my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Spare me because I'm suffering. Well, it does seem that David is in trouble at the physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological level, all levels of his humanity. And that's not unusual, is it? Because um, uh, the human being that we are um, means that all our parts are interconnected, interrelated. Your body can be affected by stuff that's going on in your mind and emotions. A serious uh, affliction in your body can affect your mind, of course. A guilty conscience can disturb both mind and body. And verse 1 indicates that David has a maybe a guilty conscience about something. He feels that God's anger um, is directed towards him, uh, that he's being chastised because of something that he's done. Um, that's why the early church identified Psalm 6 as one of the seven penitential psalms in the whole library of the psalms. <clears throat> uh, I once tried to help a Christian friend um, who admitted to an affair with a woman in his workplace. There was nothing nice, there was nothing neat about it at all there was a, there were bitter tears there was an agony of soul there was a lack of sleep there was a loss of appetite there was discomfort and pain everywhere in his emotions there was fear about the future would he lose his marriage affect his children sense of deep woundedness about unfaithfulness came into the heart of a betrayed wife beautiful wife and there was guilt before a holy God. At every level of his humanity, this dear friend was a experiencing agony. Look at verse 2. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. My bones are in agony. Yeah, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, and sometimes that, that is clearly the case. Well, where can you go when you're in that kind of condition? Your mates might encourage you to drink yourself into oblivion. Your Christian friends might um, 
sort of put distance between themselves and you. You might feel that you've got moral leprosy. Where have all of my friends gone? Your worldly friends might uh, counsel you to abandon your wife, set up house with your new lover. That's a sort of thing that goes on. Well, David instinctively turns to Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the lover of Israel who rescued his people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery and brought them into a new and better land because he loved them. And David cries out for grace to this God. Spare me because I'm suffering. Be gracious to me, he says. Be gracious to me, or as it says in the in the New International Version, have mercy on me, Lord. Maybe he's remembering that uh, that phrase in the writings of Moses, um, that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be, and be gracious to you. It's the same Hebrew word. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And, and he asks that Yahweh, the Lord, will heal his sick body because even his bones are aching, he's bone weary. Uh, the whole prayer really breathes hope in the mercy of God. In the long night when your heart is broken and uh, your conscience is wrecked and wounded, there is no other place to go than to plead that God will see your suffering and give you grace um, come to you with gracious love and of course you and I can go to a place that David could only dimly see we can go to the full outpouring of God's grace in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ you can go to the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins you can go to the one who in amazing grace saved a wretch like you you can go to the to, to, to the place where you can say here is love vast as the ocean loving kindness as the flood when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood so David in his suffering uh, he cries out spare me Lord for I am suffering and it's as simple as that in the long night, in the heartbroken night, in the night of tears and bitter tears, <clears throat> this is the place to go. Spare me, for I am suffering. Second thing I want to flag up is, <clears throat> spare me, for I am serving. Verses 4 and 5 say this, <clears throat> Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name who praises you from the grave <clears throat> some people think <clears throat> that this verse uh, displays a rather poor view of the afterlife um, uh, well of course the doctrine of heaven and hell is not worked out in fullness in the old testament it is in the new but i'd like to suggest that that's not the main point here david's not um not got a very poor view of the afterlife um that's not the main point i remember a time 
in my own life when I when I had a massive decision to make about where I would spend my future ministry. I was agonising over a decision about whether I should stay where I was or move on to another church. And a seasoned pastor friend spoke to me man to man. He was an old guy. Um, he spoke to me rather st strongly. He said, brother, remember that you've only got one time round. It was simple as that. <laughs> I only have one life with which to serve the Lord. Um, it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that the judgment, says Hebrews. So it was a timely reminder to me that this life is not a rehearsal. It's the one and only. That, that may be why the Apostle Paul concluded that rather than depart and be with Christ, which was far better, he would remain in this body so that he could continue to serve the church at Philippi amongst other churches. So I think that may explain David's desire here. If, if his death were to come soon at the hand of his enemies, it would mean an end to his service for the kingdom. No more celebrations of the Lord's grace and his steadfast love. No more telling the great truths um, about God's mighty works. No more inspired worship songs to flow from uh, his heart and his harp. Um, the composer of so many of these glorious psalms. So he's praying that he might be spared from death in order to serve the Lord and make him known. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Well, he wants to stay and serve the Lord. Spare me, for I am serving. I think that's uh, what's going on here. I think it's a challenge, isn't it? And what we're doing with this one and only life that we've been given. If you live uh, 70 years, I think that that's about 840 months. When the end comes, there comes the end of opportunities to serve the Lord and to make him known and to share his love and to witness to his beauty. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, possibly died on the cross when he was around the age of 33. 400 or so, less than 400 months on this earth, doesn't sound a lot, but what did he accomplish with his one life, our oh, Lord Jesus Christ? What did he accomplish for his Father's kingdom? What did he accomplish for the good of others and for the, the blessing of the world? So I'd like to just ask at this point, um, is this, could this be uh, an important moment for you to ask how are you spending your one time round? Got one life, 700 or so months. Um, is it your ambition, your primary all-pervading ambition to spend that life serving the king? Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I want to live um, to make sure that your name is proclaimed and that your praises are uttered in the earth. Spare me because I'm serving. Thirdly, spare me and I will announce your victory. I'm going to jump to the end of the psalm. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. 
The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. A couple of interesting gear changes in Psalm 6. In verses 1 to 5, uh, David is speaking directly to the Lord. In verses 6 and 7, he speaks in the first person. Uh, I am worn out and so on, he goes on to say. And then in verses 8 to 10, he speaks at his difficulties. He speaks toward his enemies with a kind of faith statement that um, is, a, is a kind of announcing God's victory ahead of time. Um, and he affirms his hope by announcing the Lord's victory on his behalf. There's a wonderful affirmation of the significance of prayer in the life of God's children in, in these verses. You notice in verse 8, uh, there's an interesting description of prayer. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. And the other one is, the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my weeping. Charles Spurgeon called tears liquid prayers. I'm not sure how it happened, but there was a wonderful transition from desperation to hope in the psalmist's heart and mind. He goes from bemoaning his weakness because of his foes to his confident command that they should retreat because they should retreat ashamed and beaten because God has heard the prayers of his child. God who controls the universe is about to change things with an outstretched hand. You've often probably heard it said that uh, that prayer doesn't change things, it just changes the person who prays. Well, there may be an element of truth in that, but here prayer changes uh, the author. He goes from desperation to hope and it also changes, he's confidently asserting that his prayer will change his circumstances. His internal world is transformed from fear to confidence and his external world is about to be changed by the removal of certain people who have been out to destroy him. And uh, I think the history of God's people throughout the ages is a, there are so many examples. One of my favourite, because I'm a, a fan of John Wesley, the great Methodist evangelist, Anglican evangelist, he was preaching in Wensbury in the West Midlands. Uh, if you if you go down the, the pedestrian walkway to the market in Wensbury, there is a there is a, an inscription testifying to this bit of John Wesley's history, and he was a great a great and angry mob, enemies surrounded the house. Wesley wrote, "We prayed that the Lord would disperse them." Within a few minutes. They'd all gone their separate ways. However, by five o'clock, they were back again, even angrier than before, in greater numbers than ever. They began to chant, bring out the minister. Bring out the minister. We will have the minister. Well, Wesley asked that the ringleader of this mob be brought into the house. A few sentences later, the lion had become a lamb. Wesley asked that um, two more of the angriest men uh, be brought into the house and they were consumed with rage. They came in, this praying minister 
talked to them. Within two minutes, they were so calm, they were as calm as could be. And then Wesley got a chair from the house. He, he stood on it. He stood in the middle of this mob. He spoke some gospel words to them. And then they began to shout out, this is an honest gentleman. And we will spill our blood in his defence. <laughs> what about that? They came to spill his blood. And then they started shouting that they would spill their own blood in his defence. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Well, we may not enjoy the same results as Wesley, but we have the same God who lives who loves, I should say, to hear the cries of his children. And he loves to effect changes in our circumstances in response to our prayers. He comes into our times of anxiety and difficulty and he, he does things for our good. Of course, it's not automatic. You can't treat prayer and your circumstances as an automatic coin in the slot thing you put the coin in and you get out what you what you think you you deserve there are mysteries and perplexities in the whole way that god's providence uh, responds to our prayers uh, we can't always fathom what's going on there um but sounds like this one are given to us to inspire confidence that um, our lord um isn't playing hide and seek He's consistent. He's a father. We've been adopted into his family. He is much more interested in our prayers than we are to pray. He loves our prayers. He wants the best for us as a result of them. So God takes the prayers of his blood-bought children very seriously. He loves it when we announce his victories. I prayed and the Lord heard me. Let me tell you what he did. Of course, the, um, the greatest encouragement is that God's very own son, having died for us on the cross, having raised himself from the grave, ascended to the throne room of God, and he lives there as our advocate. The king of glory, the creator of the universe, came into the virgin's womb. He lived a perfect life. He died a an atoning death. He, he, he raised himself to a justifying eternity. And then he went back to the glory and he went back to the glory specifically to be our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. He's there in the throne room of God. And when we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, a father loves to hear those prayers because they come to him through his dearly beloved son. And we can pray with confidence. Spare me and I will announce your victory. Oh, please remember how important this is. The Lord Jesus borrowed the words from this psalm. He borrowed words from verse 8. Away from me, all you who do evil. Uh, he he borrowed these words to teach us that the day would come when all who refused to come and submit to his rule would be treated like his enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. But to those of us who have put our trust in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, 
who have been adopted into God's family by a gracious, merciful Father, who are indwelt by the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. We can um, plead with God. Um, we can tell him in the long night, spare me because I'm suffering. He knows that we're suffering, but we have to tell him anyway. Spare me because I'm serving. Lord, deliver me, help me, and so that I can continue in this this life of service. Um, and spare me, and I will announce your victory. Lord, answer my prayers, and I'll make sure that all the glory belongs to you. Lord bless you. Uh, next week we'll have a go at Psalm 7. Thank you for joining us.